I have to throw out before we get uh, the proceedings underway here. Did Rome fall or did it default? Well, now there's an argument about that because uh, I asked one of our serious thinkers here and uh, he looked me right in the eye and says, well, uh, no, not exactly. The way I understand it, Rome was too busy having orgies and then all of a sudden the roof fell in. I said, well, doesn't that sound just like this damn town? I mean, uh, someday there's going to be a Gibbon call, and you know, he's going to write uh, Edward Gibbon, not the kind that swings around in a Bronx Zoo, and he's going to write uh, The Rise and Fall and Decline of New York, you know. <laughs> and uh, which, which leads me to another thing. I ask, another, uh, I ask a newsman, listen to this one. I walk into the newsroom. This is how, how, how completely nutty your point of view can get in times of total stress and, uh, let's put it this way, in times of... Uh, real travail. Uh, I walk in and I said, uh, hey, uh, how's it look with uh, default? And he looks at me and says, looks good. Looks good. Looks like it's going to happen. Really looks good. I said, wait a minute. I said, it looks good. Looks good? And he says, yeah, yeah, it looks good. Looks like it's going to happen. I said, you realize what you've said, Roger? He said, yeah, yeah. Yeah, looks good. Looks good. So, once again, once again, I came face to face with the blank, unyielding face, the visage of the reality of our time. And so that sound of that violin that you hear fluttering high up there on the, on the barricades is Nero himself. As the flames roar and the ashes fly higher and higher and the smoke swirls into the golden Roman sun. Ave Nero. Ave Caesar. Ave. Ave. Ave Pax Romana. Another great human edifice. New York joins all joins all the past cities of history, declining into the crumbling dust of time. Mesopotamia, Nineveh, Tyre. giants that once strode upon this tiny island, the great men who created a dream and a vision have long since passed into
into the misty, swirling rainbows of the past. Cafe Nuevo York.
well, let's put it this way, teenage adventure stories that were broadcast at one time on the radio. He did not make his first name as a singer in Las Vegas. What did Mel Torme play? Yeah. I'm constantly confronted with the incredible depthless sea of ignorance. Cannot comprehend how this has come about. It's all part of the decline of Rome. You know, the day came in Rome when they didn't even know what the hell the street numbers were. And uh, no, that's all. I'm just not announced where Buddy's place is, and that's enough. What do you want me to do? Pound it into the ground? Are you interested in vitamins? No? Well, no wonder you look so bad. Uh, <laughs> are you interested in vitamins? Well, no, no. A friend of mine mixes them, mixes them with his uh, vodka martinis. He, uh, he calls it a, uh, a squib knocker. It's a great drink. A little twist of lemon. A little vitamin, little squib crushed in there, and it'll send you home singing. Well, it's uh, vitamin time again. What uh, high the high potency vitamin do physicians and pharmacists recommend most? Well, you know the answer to that one if you've been listening. It's good old faithful Theragran by Squib. The name Squib on the label means you have no doubt about the honor or the integrity of the maker, which is more than you can say probably for most of your friends. And they're running a special uh, sale here. If you buy 100 of them, you get 30 extra. That's a whole month. Now, where can you see these Theragran M's and Theragran uh, tablets? Fairhaven Pharmacy, 754 River Road in Fairhaven, New Jersey. Carter Drug at Cliffwood Avenue in Matawan, New Jersey. And Madura Pharmacy, 115 North Broadway in colorful South Amboy, New Jersey. And those are Squib Theragran. By the way, don't forget to tune into this weekend's Jets football game, which is sponsored in part by your local Squib Theragrand pharmacist. Vitamins keep that charging line going. Your leisure time is precious. You want to enjoy every minute of it. That's why you should buy the new Q magazine. Each week, the new Q covers all entertainment in the New York area. The new Q is seven great entertainment magazines in one. Each week, the new Q offers 2,000 what-to-enjoy, exciting-to-do ideas. The new Q tells you what's behind the biggest entertainment events of the week, what's great at the movies and where it's showing, what's the best on and off-Broadway, where to get a splendid cocoa vol, or just plain good food at bargain prices, what's happening in music and the arts, when to hear your favorites on FM, what TV programs and films are worth watching, plus dozens of free entertainment events. Put more pleasure into your leisure time. Get the new cue at your newsstand today. Seven great magazines in one. It's a bargain. Oh, yeah, I guess. I guess. <laughs> what are you going to say? Uh, General Tire. Uh, do you have the General Tire ET in there? It says, uh, sing lyrics and fade after 16 seconds. It's a hell of a lifespan. Bring it up there, please. Someday you'll own, I'll stay alone. Sing it out, King. Someday you'll own, I'll stay alone. Sooner or later, you'll own generals. Yes, sir. I'm using my heavy-handed uh, Richard Goulet voice, or is it Robert Goulet? You remember the time he forgot the lyrics to the national anthem? That was one of the high points of television. General Tire doesn't claim that its tire experts have all the answers. No, sirree, Bob. 
The General Tire Specialist is trained to analyze what tire fits your driving habit. You know, uh, hitting uh, fire plugs and all that kind of stuff that you do. And they have special tires for that with big brass knobs on them. So you go and check your general tire dealer. He'll get you set. And you'll sing it out. Sooner or later, you'll own generals. I say, yeah. They'll own you. Bum, 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 bum. Very good. This is WOR, New York. Speaking of general tire owning the world. And uh, we, we've, let's, uh, let's stop with the commercials for a while, shall we? Okay? I, uh, I just uh, don't feel like it, you know, after that salute to uh, Pax Nueva New York, you know, when it slowly sank into the mire and muck of history. Yeah, yeah, I think one day that uh, this place will be uh, will be just a, a vast uh, plain peopled with uh, with the moldering ruins. Well, of course, this has this been the story of all of mankind. You know, it would have been very hard to convince a guy walking down the down the Appian Way on a bright sunny day, 220 B.C., that one day that all this will be will be a place where little old ladies with blue hair come with their instamatics, and that's all that would be left of it. <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah, you, you, you go drive. You ever been to Rome? I'll tell you, that's educational. I mean, it's educational in some ways you don't want to be educated in. Uh, it really is, uh, you know, you look down at the at this great vast uh, Colosseum, wow! And uh, you're you're vaguely reminded of Shea, and uh, that's a scary thought. I you know I would not like to to think that one day people will come with with uh, instamatics and take pictures of where the bullpen used to be, and they won't know what it even is. They'll just see that little pit down there. You see in the by that time, the top will have molded away over it. See, there'd be a little hole in the ground. In fact, if you go around the the Colosseum in Rome, I'm not talking about the one up here on Columbus Circle here, which is a nothing Colosseum compared to the real Bippy. I'll tell you, you walk around the real Colosseum there, and there's thousands of of cats running around in there. You've probably heard of the cats of Rome. Well, they're mean-looking cats, and they're all around there, and there's all kinds of native theories about it and superstitions. Uh, there's one superstition that the cats of Rome, or at least the ones that live in the Colosseum in that area, are sacred. They contain the ghosts of the great line of the Caesars. This is a theory. You didn't hear that, right? You come to the right place. You just don't hear this kind of stuff from Phyllis Diller, buddy. And I'll tell you, and it's delivered with such style. You notice that. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, uh, these cats scurry up and down these these fallen pillars, and, uh, and you can buy postcards, see, which are archaeological, theoretical reconstructions of how the Colosseum must have looked, or theoretically should have looked in its great heyday, and that's scary. By God, that looks like Yankee Stadium. I mean, you know that big crowd there? And uh, they had their sports. You know, they didn't only sacrifice Christians there. That whole thing was not built for that event. <laughs> you know that, don't you? Or don't you? A lot of people think Coliseum Christians, you know, lions and all that bit. But they had other things that went on there. For example, 
They were famous for the discus at the time. And uh, there was a rule, a standing rule, just like at Shea. Any discus that goes up in the stands could be scrambled for. And whoever got it owned it. Well, you know how a foul ball is here at Shea. Somebody foul tips one back a third. All the yahoos running around spilling beer and yelling and grabbing for the ball. Well, this is a, this is a tradition. And it's continued to this very day. They did it in, in, the, in the Coliseum. And uh, also, too, they, they had a... When you, when you came into the Coliseum in the ancient days of Rome, you bought a ticket, you know. You didn't walk in there. Oh, this was a commercial enterprise. Or didn't you ever think of it that way? In fact, they have preserved right there in the... As you come into it, uh, there's several entrances, just like, you know, Shea. They have E, D, C, Section 7 and all that. And uh, you come into the entranceway, and there you can see the little pit there that still remains where there used to be a counter and this mad-looking guy used to hold up a sign all sold out. You know, and there were scalpers. There would be scalpers hanging around the front even in those days. I mean, if a big event was in town, if they were playing Carthage or something that day, and, uh, you know, it was a, the league was really tight, uh, the people crowded. Yes, they did play Carthage. You're not kidding? And they also played Sparta, and teams would come, and they'd fight it out. Now, uh, what did they do? Well, one of the things they did, they hurled, among other things, the javelin. You've seen the javelin. And uh, they hurled the javelin. And that was a big, very popular event. And there was also a rule that if a javelin ever went up into the stands, whoever got it in the thorax could not sue because uh, right there it says on his ticket that he absolves the management and the owners of the Coliseum of all responsibility due to the fact this is athletic contest and uh, that's one of the conditions of purchasing the ticket. And that's just exactly what happens out at Shea. If you, get to, if you get drilled in the left ear by a wild pitch from Tom Seaver, you cannot go down there and, uh, you know, no way. It says right in your ticket. Did you ever look at your ticket? They also had rain checks. Began even in those days because, you know, the torrential spring rains would wash out many a very exciting event. And if you've paid uh, seven denados or drobniks or scudniks or whatever it is they were using, and what was the money of Rome? Lira? Lira, centime? What was it? You don't know. Well, they had money. In fact, uh, uh, to this day, people make earrings out of Roman coins. Uh, what was the Roman coin called? Class. Well, you don't know. Well, it doesn't matter. It was dough. And, uh, yes, what you call money makes no difference. Whether it's pounds, scoobniks, drobniks, wampum, it's all the same thing. It's what you ain't got and those guys at the top of the hill got. And, uh, <laughs> and in any society, there's guys at the top of the hill. And if you don't think so, I would suggest you visit Leningrad. You'll see a lot of guys living in little houses about the size of shoeboxes you know, with bad ventilation and no toilets. And up at the top of the hill lies the local commissar's estate. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it's always this way. It's a man. It's not the system, it's man. So, uh, nevertheless, uh, the, the, uh, the thing that we want to get back down to is, of course, the story of the Roman Colosseum. It's very exciting. You walk around the Colosseum and uh, you look at it and you, you just can't help but imagine what must have gone on here. You know, eight 
800 B.C., something like that, or A.D., rather. So they threw out all the sport pages and kept the editorial pages. That's why we still have Plato. But nobody describes what happened that big afternoon when Carthage came in and cleaned out Rome in a fantastic upset. Uh, and the natives rioted in the stands, which they did. <laughs> and uh, they did. They actually did. Just like, go out to Randall's Island. <laughs> and uh, you know, they burned the stands. You know, those exciting, those, uh, those uh, hot blood of the Latin temperament. And so... Uh, these were a lot of uh, hot-blooded Latins sitting up there watching that crowd throw the, uh, throw the spears from Sparta. Now, Sparta, of course, was a big enemy at the time. Now, Sparta was a, a legendary crowd to the Romans, believe it or not. Now, the reason they were legendary is because the Spartans, the people from Sparta, the Spartans, uh, lived a life which is totally the opposite of the life lived by the Romans. They lived a life which later became known as a Spartan existence. That's how we got the phrase Spartan. Yes, uh, Spartan. Yes, that's quite true. I'm telling you history. I ain't inventing it. I don't invent the past, buddy. I'm only giving it to you. So uh, the Spartans lived a Spartan existence, whereas the Romans lived, guess what? A Roman existence. We all know what the Roman existence was. Eat, drink, and be merry. And uh, they hung around a swimming pool a lot and... And the Nubian handmaidens came around and stuffed them with grapes and uh, hummingbird tongues and stuff like that. And, and uh, they perfumed the water. And, oh, it was just one hell of a party after another. And, of course, the Spartans, on the other hand, they would hang around doing nothing but push-ups. And uh, they lived uh, a very, very frugal existence. In fact, the word frugal comes from a sect of the Spartans called the Frugasos, which were uh, Frugians later known as a frugal existence, which went even beyond the Spartan existence. Well, all right. So when the, when the two philosophies came to push and to shove, when the Spartans arrived, uh, this was a, a very historic day, which, by the way, was reported by many Roman historians. When the Spartans arrived with their athletic team, uh, you know, their team of javelins, uh, throwers, their team of relay runners, which was a very big sport in those days. Uh, and uh, there was a lot of motivations to win the relay race in those days. The losers, by the way, were fed to the lions. So you ran like the wind. <laughs> I'll tell you. Oh, yes, you, you really went. Well, of course, the, the losers today are fed to the lions. We call them sports writers today. And uh, many a guy has been fired right out of his job as a result of what uh, Red Smith said. Uh, you know, in a, in a pet, in a fit, after the pennant was lost again. So uh, the Spartans arrived, and uh, according to local Roman legend, the Spartans arrived, and they were kept in their hotel room, which uh, was very, uh, very antithetical to the way the uh, Roman athletes behaved. They didn't have a hotel room. In fact, they hung around a local house of ill fame, and uh, yes, this is how that expression got uh, got the currency. We will uh, discuss that later. That comes next semester. Any of you who are going to be here next semester, you'll learn the origin of that phrase, uh, house of ill fame. What does the word fame mean? What does the word? How did it get the? How did it get currency? Well, uh, uh, Fomenius was a town in northern Italy. You're learning, aren't you, today? It was just north of uh, of Etrusca where the Etruscans lived. Now, they lived pretty far north already, for starters, but uh, we could uh, 
we could go into this. This gets pretty silly after a while. It's, it really doesn't have much relevance to what the hell's happening in Staten Island. But uh, if you just thought, you might want to know some of these things today because, after all, we are now uh, right on the very brink of what happened to Rome immediately following the defeat by the Spartans. You see, up to the point where the Spartans arrived, everybody in Rome kind of felt things, well, what the hell, they're not so good, but what the... It's going pretty good. After all, I was at a good party last night. Everything's going to be cool. And uh, the togas uh, were drifting uh, happily in the breeze. Everyone was enjoying the grapes, the Nubian handmaidens, although some of the Nubian handmaidens at that time already were showing signs of discontent. Uh, they hadn't actually stuffed the grapes down into the bazoo of a local Roman and, uh, you know, did it with a plum and says, you know what you can do with your grapes the next time. Augustus or Octavius or whoever it is he was, they were talking to. So uh, these I had names like that in those days. Funny, but uh, nevertheless, to to continue on the lecture here, when the Spartans arrived, they arrived on a Saturday. Now that was very significant because the word Saturday uh, was already in the language, uh, not quite in the same form we know of it, but it was named after the god Saturn. Uh, you knew this. Of course, that Saturday is from the uh, Roman Saturnus. Do you know this? Of course. All right. Uh, so they arrived on Saturday. By the way, Saturday is also allied closely in local legend with the uh, with with the phrase Satanius or Satan. Aha! That puts a different color on the thing. That's why people go out and tie one on on Saturday. Saturday is the devil's day in many. Uh, secular religions. And so when, uh, <laughs> you're really learning a lot tonight, so when when the Spartans arrived, they arrived on Saturday, and there were already local uh, um, harbingers of ill will, if you will, negative thinkers, who pointed out that this was an omen, that quite possibly the Spartans have allied themselves with Satan, or Satanus or Saturnium. Uh, there was a god up on the hill there. Nobody went near it because, boy, the, the house of Saturnius was a very, very nervous house to go near. This was where reposed Satan, or the god of evil things. Most people hung around the house of Diana, which was the uh, house of plenty, you know, Diana the Hunt and all that sort of thing. They also liked to hang around Jupiter, which uh, was the house of large amounts of money. They hung around that one, too, Juvius Pluvis. Uh, they also, uh, there was money around there. So, But hardly anyone hung around that one up on the hill, that little angry-looking house, the house of Saturnius. Well, there was rumors that uh, the Spart Spartan athletes had allied themselves, and incidentally, they also dressed differently and wore large flowing mustaches. As opposed to the, the Grecian and the Roman style, particularly the Roman style of the clean-shaven face. And there was a rumor that one Spartan athlete had been trained by putting a ravening, uh, hungry fox inside of his tunic and letting him chew at his entrails for about four hours. Yes, you know this phrase. Don't you? You, you, don't, you don't know the legend of the Spartan youth? Well, God, ignorance is... You understand that the term ignorance itself derives from a Roman sub-god, ignoramus, or ignorimius. Uh, often uh, later on in the Byzantine period, it became uh, 
finally the word declined and decayed until finally it became ignorant slob. Well, uh, <laughs> so you are all in the grasp, all of you are in the grasp of the god ignorinius or ignor ignorominius, that's it, with an M, ignominious, which means that you're ignorant louts. So uh, nevertheless, as, as the Spartans came striding out of their hotel room, uh, flat-bellied, lean, hard, slit-eyed, bronzed, with their bodies oiled and supple in the sun. Uh, they went into the Colosseum, they went down to the player's entrance, by the way, uh, as they went down to the Colosseum, a, 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 a roar of applause roared out through one secular crowd that was for the Spartans, but of course the vast number of people, 80,000 or more, were, uh, were Roman fans. Because after all, it was a hometown crowd. Uh, the games began, and shortly after the beginning of the games, it became quite evident that it was going to be more than a simple defeat. It was going to be what we call today a wipeout. The Spartans literally wiped out the Romans on that historic Sunday many centuries ago. Discontent settled in immediately following the last event, which, in case you're interested, was a team tag relay event. And the, the Spartans finished the team tag relay event a full lap and a half ahead of the best of all the Roman champions, and it was just wipeoutsville. So there was a great amount of discontent. And at that point, the citizens of Rome began to criticize the government of Rome. They began to, you know, guys that stand around in a corner and make rotten remarks about uh, the current Caesar. And uh, they began to gripe about the taxes. They began to gripe about the quality of the grapes. And, of course, as a natural result of this, the grape sellers then, out of pique and irritation, raised the price of the grapes. And one thing led to the other, and ultimately all that was left of Rome was a pile of stone. Now frequented only by drifting herds of cats, and old ladies snapping under the bright Roman sunlight, endless rolls of instamatic film, usually size 628, as opposed to the more closer-grained 120. It in itself a slap in the face. And so just suggest, friends, that things may come to, as we call, a pretty pass. And by the way, that also is a Roman phrase. We'll bring that up later in a later class. Don't, don't Fly forget to remind me. Mexico, please. the airline of Mexico, class. to Mexico soon. Aero Mexico, Aero Mexico. Fly with us soon. All smart shoppers sing this song. Smart shoppers can't go wrong, food down all the way. Top quality foods and meat, price and service you can be. Shop at Food Town and you'll save Food Town all the way. Food Town is a store. Now at Food Town, delicate love lace imported porcelain china. Get a different piece every week for only 39 cents with each $3 you spend. An entire 40 piece service will rate just $15.60. Watch for Food Town's weekly specials and start collecting your imported china today. New York, have we got a sale for you. 
during this great sale of bedding and convertible sofas. And at Klein's Sleep, everything is a famous name, like Simmons and Sealy, and everything is ready for immediate, free, 99-mile delivery. Klein's Sleep, in Manhattan, the Bronx, Yonkers, White Plains, Norwalk, Connecticut, and Ramsey, New Jersey. See our ad in the Sunday News or Times for more details. All Klein Sleep stores are open Monday through Friday to 9 p.m. for your convenience. Hey, do you mind quieting The noise you hear is the sound of the sale. A whale of, I mean, an incredible, I mean, it's a heck Bonds of a make room for the new ones, Charles. Sorry, no alterations, no returns, no refunds. Now, just a warehouse full of savings in one giant bond store at Broadway and 45th, now through Saturday, 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. Get down and join the noise. Yeah, we'll see you there. The new Lowe's Monte Carlo Hotel is a light Lowe's Monte Carlo Hotel. Well, uh, you know, uh, look, it's not going to do you any good friend, to uh, go out and buy yourself a fox and stick it in your vest. Uh, the Spartans did a little more than that. They, uh, they, they not only did the thing with the, with the, uh, with the fox, but see what they did. Uh, they practiced a lot, which began to bore the Romans. The Romans believed in winning, but they didn't believe in practicing. Well, now the two, unfortunately, happened to go together. Almost any sport. See, being a Roman, you tend to, uh, you tend to, uh, well, I suppose you can say you tend to, uh, to cater to your senses. No, we're not talking about where you don't cater to your intelligence, you cater to your senses. Not the same as, uh, as your intelligence. And so, uh, uh, as you walk through the Colosseum, you, you, te- you tend to have these, uh, these images. And the other day, I'm driving out, I'm driving out on, uh, Let's see, it was, uh, was it Utopia? No. By the way, isn't that the craziest name for a road that runs through the area that that road runs through? Utopia Parkway? Most incredible. Uh, well, of course, uh, that's all part of Shepard's 180-degree phase shift of reality theory, which is almost every, anything is 180 degrees the opposite of that which it's advertised. So some uh, company says, you got a friend if you come to see us. That's the one thing you ain't got when you go down there, buddy. You better take your own friends if you think you're going to have a friend when you go there. And they'll probably throw them out too. But nevertheless, uh, <laughs> Utopia Parkway. Although there are some names that fit, Flushing for one. Uh, you you uh, you you really you, you know you really you're really amazed at sometimes how how well things fit. Now the other times, <laughs> like Babylon, truly is. Uh, I'll tell you, some nights in Babylon you can hear the uh, the decadence. You can almost physically hear it. You stand on the main street of Babylon at 3 in the morning and just strain your ear, and you can hear decadence oozing out of the manhole covers. You know, it's everywhere. So Babylon, uh, by the way, Babylon, is a, that's a place I always wanted to visit. Did you know that, that uh, once when I was in the Middle East, it's a great site, one of those great sites which uh, I've always retained in my mind is, is a lot, uh, you know, there's certain high points in traveling, as being a world traveler rather than just once I went to Paris. Uh, when you spend a lot of time traveling in very, very uh, off-the-wall places of the world, you wind up with a few really dynamic images in your head. And you know one of the great images that I had in my uh, that I've got right smack in the middle of my head? Well, it was in the Dead Sea region. Now, this, this is a place that uh, your average walking-around tourist doesn't often visit. First of all, 
It's very easy to understand how the people who came out of the Dead Sea region created uh, tremendous religions. Because this is a, one of the wildest, scariest regions, if not the wildest, scariest region in the world. I mean, just physically. It's incredible. I mean, it's just unbelievably desolate. I mean, great canyons that fall straight down. Yes, I see. Great canyons that fall straight. I never miss. Nevertheless, I'm in. The, you want to hear about that? Uh, about the 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 uh, Dead Sea scene? Oh, I'll tell you, it's fantastic. So I came down in a jeep, and uh, with this other guy, and, and uh, obviously, and this guy is a Romanian, and uh, jovial Romanian, and we're both driving in a jeep. Actually, it was a uh, Rover, Land Cruiser, Land Rover, and uh, oh, it's hot. Oh, God. Oh, there's no, you, you understand what the Dead Sea is geographically. Many people know that. The Dead Sea happens to be the lowest spot on the face of the earth, below sea level. Did you know that? Yeah, it's like the drain plug of the universe. It's the bilge. It really is. Stop and think. What is a bilge in your boat? The bilge is the bottom where all that stuff gathers. And it gathers at the lowest spot, right? Well, this is the the bilge uh, of the of the world. It's the, it's about eight thousand feet below sea level. It's unbelievable. See, so you go down, down, down. And, oh God, is it hot? And there is the Dead Sea. Now, the Dead Sea from the distance is it's truly dead. It is. It, the, the reason they call it the Dead Sea is nothing grows there, and it's totally dead. And all around us, from the distance, it looks kind of bright blue. It's curious, and it looks. A, kind of a bottle green. Looks eerie in that total desert around there. And then when you get closer and closer, you realize it isn't water at all. What it is, is a very thick gruel about the consistency of, uh, oh, number 30 oil. It's a thick gruel of dissolved salt and some kind of moisture. That's why you can, you listen, you can take a run from the shore of the Dead Sea, run, run out uh, 20, 30 feet in the water, or whatever it is, before it even comes up over your feet, much less your ankles. Yeah, and people lay out there, they just float on it. See, it's like floating on a linoleum. And uh, hot, oh my God, is it hot? And there's a rumor that this is good for your rheumatism. Well, I'll tell you, if you spend any time around the Dead Sea, You've got more miseries than rheumatism. You, you begin to forget about rheumatism. I think it's all psychological. You know? it's, and anyway, we, we started to drive around the Dead Sea. Now, the Dead Sea is not very large, really. It's, it's uh, probably two or three miles one way and about a mile the other way. And it's surrounded by these vast crags all around you. And the, the shore is absolutely snow white, but the shore is not sand. It is thick, really thick, like feet thick crusted salt and it goes all the way back up and it looks blinding in the sun it's very hot and so we drove this isn't far where they found the dead sea scrolls and so we drove along the shore you could smell that tremendous acrid smell of bitter salt or bitter something it's bitter in the air and we had a sandwich or two and, and it's kind of depressing because the air doesn't move it's down at the bottom of this great vast geographical or geological sinkhole and just sort of sits there. And we're riding along, and all of a sudden, uh, on this little road is a sign. 
sisters, you are now entering Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah. How many of you would like to have visited Gomorrah or Sodom? There it is. It's still there. And there's a little pumping station there where they're pumping stuff out of the Dead Sea. And you, you see where they get the phrase soda, salt, soda, sodium? It's from Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? And so here is here it is sitting there, nothing there. And up on the cliff, far off to the right, which is a salt cliff rising to the sky, stark. There is the legend, this is where Lot's wife turned and looked back at Gomorrah and was instantly turned to stone. Salt, a pillar of salt. And there is a pillar of salt standing there. And this pillar stands up against the sun. And this is a legend, of course, that this is what is all that's left of Lot's wife. And you drive out of the city limits of Sodom, which, by the way, are maybe 30 feet from the other city limits of, of Sodom. It's a place about 200 feet around now. And you drive through Gomorrah. And you head up through the pass, going back down towards the mines of Solomon. You've heard of Solomon, of course. Well, he has mines, you know. That's how he got so rich. How do you think he lived to be 900 years old? You don't think a guy that's poor lives to be 900, do you? Uh-huh. Oh, stupido. imagery tonight, wasn't it? Historical connotation, significant omens, portents. As the fox gnaws at your entrails, the Spartans are on their way, buddy. And they all got 350 batting averages. It's not going to do you any good to hope that Bud Harrelson will save us. Not this season. Chris Chambliss? Are you kidding?